This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Radio X and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right around this beautiful blue little planet of ours. If you'd like to send us an email, exxon at com on all social media sites, TV, And to check out all the other fine programming we have available for you, 724-365 at the Exxon Broadcast Network, check us out online at xzbn.net. Exonation, my guest this hour is Jean Van Brockhorst, as she is the author of Dreams at the Threshold, Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life, published by our good friends at Llewellyn. She has a graduate degree in psychology and in social work, and has worked with people facing life-threatening illnesses for 20 years, including 10 as a hospice social worker. Her first book, Premonitions in Daily Life, that was published in 2013, has been translated into four languages. She is now working on a research project with healthcare professionals about patient dreams and a new book about end-of-life care. And she lives and writes in beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada, just a stone's throw from our from our station here in Hamilton. And uh, Jean, welcome to the Exxon. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Glad you're with us. Jean, what was it uh, that made you interested in the end of life? Oh, that's a really good question. I was working in medical social work Mm -hmm. and um, just found myself drawn to working with people um, at the end of life. It seemed like a really good combination of my social work and counseling skills. Why is it it that, that in our society we still fear death? Because it's scary. <laughs> I think it's. I think I have a healthy fear of it myself. Yeah. I think the the idea of imagining not existing is really tough, and and it's really tough to imagine not being with the people that I love and having them die and me being alone. So I understand the fear behind it, even though I have a real strong belief in the afterlife. Yeah. Uh, coming up to the edge of it is still a scary place. and I've learned a lot from working with people who are facing that. A lot of people that I've spoken to over the years doing this show who have had near-death experiences, and when they come back, they say, hey, listen, we're not afraid of death anymore. We've been to the other side. But we didn't want to come back, but we were forced to come back. What does that tell you? Yeah, I've heard that too, yeah. I think, and I think that's true. I've, I know when I was working in the hospital, I... Um, often saw people who were 
recovering from heart attacks. And yeah. I would go in and just ask them, what do you remember? And most people, you know, said I was walking down the street and all of a sudden I was on my back and then I was here. But some people said I was enveloped by light. I found myself in a new place. I came back and I, you know, and were just completely changed by their experience. But I think they too still feel grief when someone they love has died. It's it's, it's still a barrier. Even if you know in your heart on the other side, life continues, it's not the same. I was I was once told that that death is harder on the survivors than it is on the person who passes. I think that might be true. I think the dying is harder yeah. on the dying, but death itself. Once you've made that transition, I think what's left with the grief and the loss is is much harder. At least that's what I'm hoping. A friend of mine was dying, and she she was so sure of the afterlife that she had a party, and she was asking people to give her messages, uh, you know, write down the messages that you want me to give to your loved ones when I get to the other side. <laughs> she got to me, and I thought, you know, I just hope you're so busy doing your new adventure that you don't have time yeah. for this. So I, <laughs> I want to give you a message. <laughs> All right, Jean, stand by. You and I have to take our first break, Exonation. Okay. Our guest this hour is Jean Van Brockhorst. Her website, www.jeannevanbronkhorst.com. We're going to be talking about dreams when we come back from this break as we continue right here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? 
Wire crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere. Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at Songs and Stories for Soldiers. Soldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back, everyone. Gene Van Brockhorst is our special guest. We're talking about, in this hour, dreams. And, Gene, why is it that some people have more dreams than others? It's a great question. Um, And actually, I I get asked that a lot. Why don't I have more dreams? But Mm -hmm. the real question is, why don't I remember my dreams? Because science is showing that we all dream four to six times a night, whether we remember it or not. It seems like our brains are as active at night as they are during the day. They just, the the shift in consciousness is the one thing that makes the difference. Is it possible that if a person remembers their dreams, they're going to be tired when they wake up in the morning? Uh, not usually, no. No, people who remember dreams, even vivid dreams, mm-hmm. the brain is still in sleep mode. You're still doing the, you're still sleeping as you're dreaming. Right. So it's more a question of remembering, of having time for the recall than it is for the number of dreams you recall. What is the physiology behind a dream? How do we dream? Oh, that I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not okay. enough of a scientist to be able to say. I know that for a long time they thought that, um, that a lot of scientists were saying maybe maybe there isn't any dream. It just is something we make up when we wake up. Mm-hmm. But they have proven now that during REM sleep and non-REM sleep, something changes in the brain, some chemical switches, I don't know, and the brain turns on and starts making these images. And the images um, tend to, at the beginning of the night, tend to be more about the emotions of the day. Okay. And then by the, by the end of the dream cycles in the next morning, they tend to be the most vivid and the most creative, bringing in images from all around life. Are there any theories out there on why we dream and why we have different types of dreams? Yeah, there are a lot of different theories, from Jung's theory about the archetypes and deep dreaming and um, people who think that dreams are meaningless nonsense, which Mm -hmm. I don't tend to believe. I really like the idea of Ernest Hartman, who was talking about dreams as being a way for us to process deeper emotions in life. So... We will dream about, so if someone goes through a trauma, mm-hmm. like they say their house caught on fire and they watch their house burn down, they may have dreams for the next several months about other kinds of trauma, but they won't dream about orange or fire. They'll dream about tidal waves and about big things happening to them because their dreams are making sense of the trauma they went through, but not necessarily the actual images that they used. Why, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and my next yeah. question is, why is it that some people remember their dreams and other people don't think they dream at all? I know. I think that's a very interesting thing. And I think, I think a lot of it is in our culture today, 
we are pretty much taught that dreams are things you don't pay attention to. Mm. They're not important. We're not taught about it in school. We're not taught to bring our dreams to the dinner table in order to help help the family understand what's going on. Um, we really see them, we really have pushed them away. So I think it's more a question of how much people are attuned to the cultural messages and how much they aren't. And, so some people and, remember a lot of dreams. And yet some parts of our culture are very rich in dreams. For example, music, poetry, uh, sonnets, yeah. Yeah, literature. Yes, the musicians and the poets. Right. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people will dive into dreams, and we have just enough cultural messages that says there's, there's something there that's rich that we can draw from, which is great. But I think a lot of people just don't like I, My stepmother said, I never dream, I never dream, and I wish I could dream because I'd love to dream about my husband. I'd love to dream about your father. And so I taught her how to remember her dreams. And within a week, she was dreaming about her husband and her first husband and her friends and the people that she wanted to see, and she loves it. And now she dreams regularly. Wow. Yeah. When we dream, are we entering an altered state of consciousness, or are we actually leaving the body? Are we going into another dimension? Are we going to another uh, multiverse? Where do we go? I don't know. I definitely believe in the altered state of consciousness. I think the dream is a, that's a classic definition of an altered state of consciousness and that we are awake, we are aware, we are conscious. We're just not conscious in the daily living. Um, and I know people who believe they have traveled to alternate realities and out to the stars and back. Um, and I think that's part of the creativity of the dreaming. And whether that actually is happening, I I wouldn't be able to say. It would be cool, though, if we could, wouldn't it? Sure would. Uh, a yeah. lot of people also report having visitations from those who have departed. And and are, how do we how do we rationalize the the visitation in a dream? And how do we relate that to reality? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think the visitation dreams. There's a couple of ways that they appear. One way is in a grief dream that we will, like I was talking about my stepmother, and she dreamed about her husband. And for her and for a lot of people, those visitation dreams have a vividness to them. Um, So they feel like you're not dreaming about someone. You feel like they are visiting. But grief dreams in particular with those visitation dreams, they're not always comforting. Sometimes people come back in visitation dreams and they're giving messages and sometimes they are looking like they did when they died and it's terrible and sometimes it's traumatic. So I don't know that it's always the person coming back. But the visitation dreams when someone's dying, those are almost, those are more Mm. comforting more often of the time than just about any other dream there is. So the hospice did a a research project on this, and they found the closer people got to death, the more often they had dreams of relatives who had died, and the more often those dreams were comforting. And most of the time, those particular visitation dreams, the person who's visiting is coming back to say, not just I love you and I'm okay, but I'm here to guide you on. I'm here to take you to to the next place. And so they really, some nurses will even say, you know, oh, I think this person is going to die in the next couple of days because mm-hmm. they started dreaming about their grandmother. And that usually happens in the last days and hours. Do dreams vary with a person's religious philo- uh, philosophies? Yeah, they absolutely do. So Christians will, are more likely, if they have religious figures in them, they'll, they'll see Christian figures, angels or Jesus. And people who are Hindu or Buddhist will have religious figures that fit their particular religion. Mm. It's not very often that people will have a end-of-life visitation from a, a religious figure they don't understand or don't have any meaning attached to. But most people, it turns out, dream about loved ones who've died more than religious figures, more than anything else. That's they're they're dreaming of their their family, their parents, their grandparents, and in those last dreams, most often they're dreaming about them when those people were at an age when they were able to take care of them. So those visitation, those visitors are not just 
themselves, they're kind of their best selves. So they don't bring back old grudges. They don't seem harried or out of sorts for having to be there. They don't bring back the kinds of personalities that are prickly, but they bring back their very own unique way of loving that person. Why is it some people dream in color and others other people report dreaming in black and white? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I can honestly say I don't know. I dream in color. I've met people who dream in black and white, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't know. <laughs> we were talking about visitation dreams. Have you ever dreamt about someone who has died? Yeah, I have, and I've, I've had both experiences where I've died. Of, I've died. I've dreamed of about someone who's died. So, yeah. so I will dream about friends who have died, but it just feels like dreaming about them, like their image is there. Mm-hmm. And then other times. I have dreamed like of my mother or of my father where it feels like they are there and they are with me. So so let me ask let me ask you where do these visitation dreams come from? Are they are they from the person who is dreaming or are they from the person who has died who enters into a dream? Yeah, it's it's good. I think I think there's a case to be made for both and I kind of think of it as the person who died and the person who's dreaming are both working together to create a bridge. So I think there are certainly stories out there of people who've had visitation dreams right. from someone they didn't know who had died, mm-hmm. who had just died like that day or that week, and all of a sudden they say, I see, why am I seeing my daughter Susan here? And everybody was like, oh, I didn't want to tell you that she died today. So that's surprising enough. But I think on the other side, you have to be ready for the dream, and you have to, because some people really want to have that dream, that visitation dream, but they're they're not ready for it, or it's not happening. Um, and so I've worked, I've talked to grief counselors who will actually help people um, get ready for and prepare and remember to have these dreams, so that they can kind of imagine what would you, who do you want to dream about, mm-hmm. who do you want to dream with, what do you want them to say. And then how do you remember your dreams, and how do you ask for that kind of a dream? So you dream with a purpose to, to meet them. Okay, so let me, how would this work then if we are saying that a person who has died, who now has no life force whatsoever, how is it that a deceased person can infiltrate the dream of, of the living? I, I guess it really depends on what you believe of the afterlife. I don't know if it's an emotional connection that we still have to the mm-hmm. people who've died, if there's some kind of energy that remains connected, if it's a way the bridge is built on that kind of attention, just like I'm here but can remember my dreams without being in them, if they can be somewhere and remember this connection without being in it. I don't really know. I don't think we have a a very good metaphorical grasp on what it's like to not be physical and not be part of this physical plane. If we just look at a, a plain old dream and somebody's dreaming about a horse jumping over a river and then riding through the desert and, and so on and so forth, and there's no visitation in there, do these symbols mean something specific to the person who's having the dream, or can they actually be cataloged and used as reference to any dream? Um, I think it's a, really, it's a good question. I think Jung was talking about some of this when he was talking about the, the archetypes and this idea that we have certain symbols and images right. that seem to cross cultures. But even with that... I think our culture is so individualized, so individualistic, that it's important that each dreamer be allowed to make their own sense of the dream. So I don't don't mind people going to dream books and, and looking things up and seeing what people have said over the years about particular images. But we, we build our own dream library, our own dream catalog out of our images, and we need to keep that, keep that in mind. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Please stand by. Exonation. Jean Van Brock Bronckhorst is our special guest. We're talking about dreams this uh, segment of the Exxon. 
She is the author of Dreams at the Threshold, Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life, published by our good friends at Llewellyn. If you'd like to send me an email, tell me what you think. If you're a skeptic or a believer, love to hear both sides of the story. After all, there's your side, his side, and the truth. And that's what we do here, Monday through Friday. We try to get at the middle where you, the listener, can make up your own mind because I'm not here to force feed you. I'm here to bring you as many sides to a story so that you can make up your own mind. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Dreams are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder, Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, StarwalkerVisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen.
Exonation, throughout history, many cultures believed that the dream connects them to another world, another, another reality, another conscious state. There are people who dream within dreams, within dreams, within dreams. And then there are people who have black and white dreams. There are people who have colored dreams. And then there are people who do not remember their dreams at all. And yet, dreams is one of the hottest topics these days because it seems that the less we know about a topic, the more intriguing it is to us. And when it comes to dreams, well, you know what? We really don't know a whole lot about it yet. There are people who are doing research in Montreal and Toronto and at other halls of education around the world. Hopefully one day we will have a better understanding of dreams. And my guest this hour is Jean Van Brockhorst, and we're talking about her book entitled Dreams at the Threshold, Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life. What are some of the questions that you get asked when you go out and do uh, book signings and uh, meet your meet your readers? What are some of their What are some of the most frequent questions you get asked? Well, I think we've hit on a, a bunch of them already, um, but I think um, just how how can I ha- how can I remember my dreams more often? And and, and how can people do that? And. It's one of those things that people have been working on since the ancient ancient Greece with the Temple of Asclepius, Asclepius who um, had temples where people went to uh, have healing dreams. And basically, all the techniques come down to a, a very basic function, which is finding a way to remind ourselves that we want to remember our dreams. So it can be as simple as when you're putting your head on the pillow and closing your eyes, saying to yourself, I want to remember my dreams. And then the next morning, taking a minute when you wake up, keeping your eyes closed and seeing what comes forward, whether it's a song or a feeling or an image, and just holding on to it. If you can hold on to it for the first couple of minutes, you probably can hold on to it for the day. And that's really all it takes. It's it's like... Our brains work a lot in in a, in a way of, um, if you think about how much input, visual input we have during the day, but our brains know to put most of it in the background and just bring up the stuff that we find important. So I want to know when something of, uh, dangerous is approaching, but I don't really care about the colors in the stores as I'm passing by. So in the same way, you can tell your dream, your brain, I want to remember my dreams, and it will just click forward, just just like mm. that. What about people who take different medications, uh, prescribed and otherwise, or who drink alcohol before they go to sleep, or eat certain foods? Do these elements yeah, have a reaction as to what type of dream and whether it's going to be black, white, color, and the severity of the dream? I think all of it comes into play. Um, but I don't, I don't know the specifics of it. Um, but yeah, absolutely, different medications will affect dreaming. And in fact, one of the questions that um, I, hospice nurses and I have asked patients about their dreams, I will ask them, how are your dreams these days? And, and sometimes people will say, well, ever since I started this medication, they've been really loopy. I've been dreaming in weird colors and I don't really like it. And so we'll find a way to change the medication. Um, so we know that all of that, what we eat and how we exercise and how we move through the world, all of that impacts our dreams. But if dreams are unique to individuals, how can these, how can these uh, dream encyclopedias or dream books hold any validation? Well, because I come, I think because they each come from a particular culture. A lot of the dream books are are all based back on Asclepios again. A lot of them go way back to ancient Greece when they said, "If I dream of this, then that means that." Um, but are so we then are we then popular. saying are we then saying that dreams are not specific to the dreamer? That dreams in uh, are, are dreams are generic. Well, it's kind of a, a black and white way of looking at it. I think those those particular books, and that's why I don't really. Yeah. I don't really pay much mind to them, but for people who dream of something that they're not familiar with, 
and they want to know more about what it could mean, they can look it up and see if it fits with what it felt like to them. But yeah, I think I think dreaming symbols get mixed up with religious symbols get mixed up with uh, how we see um, the world, basically. And so the different cultures will have different meanings for for the different dream images. But you know, I I really I really come back to kind of the individual Western mentality and and think that even with all those dreams where a white elephant means this and a black cat means that, I think all of us use those dream images to our own our own end. It's not it's not that easy. Isn't isn't it also true that dreams are used to process the information that we've accumulated through the day? It is, yeah. And dreams will also help uh, with long-term and short-term memory, mm-hmm. which is really fun. So that if you're in school and you you want to do well on a test, it's better not to cram the night through, but to read for a bit and then sleep on it. And you actually will remember better. Your dreams will, your dreaming brain, the sleeping brain, will pro- put that information into your memory uh, more easily. Do people have a lot of premonitions in their dreams? Uh, some people do. It's possible. I think one of the things that Jeremy Taylor said, who's another dream expert, um, is that uh, Freud, Freud used to talk about day residue, which was when we dream, we use images from the last couple of days, and we pull them together in new ways. But what, what Jeremy Taylor found and what other people have found is that those dream images also pull from the next two or three days in our lives as well. So if you keep careful track of your dreams and write down the details, you will find those details showing up in your next couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then when future events can be quite, um, when they're meaningful and when they are alarming, because we're all set to the danger, our brains are really set for danger, um, if the future event seems dangerous, then those images become more vivid. So people can have quite vivid premonition dreams of upcoming disasters, though it's more likely that they'll have premonition dreams of upcoming socks. <laughs> well, let me ask you this then. Are dreams about death usually or always precognitive? Not usually. Most of the time, and that's kind of getting back to that to that Jungian mm-hmm. idea again, a lot of us will dream about dying when we are on the cusp of making a transition, when we're moving, when we're, we feel like something in life is closing and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do next. A lot of us will, will dream about death in some way. So it does get tricky when you're working in death and dying and you have premonition dreams to, to not take those as... Um, true premonitions, but maybe as more a symbolic sense of how life works. Are there any more researchers or scientists like Jung uh, in the modern age? And if so, how is the dream technology changing? Yeah, there are a lot of researchers. In fact, I belong to an organization that's called the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And it truly is international, and they have scientists, we call them from scientists to shamans, Mm -hmm. people around the world who are interested in studying dreams or learning more about them. We have an annual conference. Um, There are a lot of authors, a lot of scientists, a lot of people who are looking at dreams from a a lot of different perspectives. So what have we learned through these conferences and these these think tanks? Uh, What have we learned? Well, mostly what I've been saying, that the dreams seem to have uh, an intrinsic meaning, but Uh they also seem open to the meanings that we give them and seem to need the meanings we give them. So so dreams are subjective. We're still in the describing sense, uh, in the describing phase Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So dreams are subjective. They are subjective. They are a truly subjective experience that can still be looked at objectively in terms of neurology mm-hmm. and physiology mm-hmm. and cross-culturally. If someone dreams kind of about an event of the future, can they actually change the future? It is possible, uh, but a lot of dreams of future events, because uh, especially if you want to change one, those tend to be um, strong events, dr- uh, negative events. 
And when we have those kind of dreams, we often see the event close up, and we don't get a, a wide enough angle to see what we could do to change it. So you might dream of somebody drowning, but you don't dream of where or who it was. Or you might dream of a plane crash, but you're not sure of when it is or how it comes about. So they're often, in those, in that sense, it seems like those dreams, what they're doing is helping us prepare emotionally for bad news, but not necessarily giving us enough information to change things. Is there a relationship between psychic phenomena and dreaming? Oh yeah, I think so. I think I think any time you're dealing with the the mind and the creative mm-hmm. impulse there and the the boundaries that get loosened up between people, then yeah, I think so. I think uh, there are cases where people dream together. People have the share in the same dream images or the same dream meanings. They have the visitation dreams. People have dreams of uh, loved ones who are in trouble and then find out later that that person was in trouble right at that time. So it feels like in dreams, in a way, it's a way to kind of loosen our our regular boundaries of this is who I am and reach out and connect with people across great distances. So, yeah. Do children dream more than adults or do adults dream more than children? Uh, the research seems to show that children dream more and that we gradually dream less as we get older, but mm. I think that also is changing as we just haven't been doing a lot of research. It's all still pretty new, but so far it seems that children dream more. They dream more often of animals. Uh, as we get older, we tend to dream more often of the people in our lives and the life events that we're facing, and the fantastical tends to go away a little bit. But but when they've done uh, surveys of people who are elderly, they are still dreaming. It's not like they stop. Um, and again, I think because because we're looking at that four to six mm-hmm. dreams per night number, I'm, I'm thinking that it's more about how many we remember, uh, how many we pay attention to, rather than how many we have. Would it be safe to say that all living creatures dream? Uh, all mammals dream, maybe. Maybe all living creatures dream. That would be great. And what they dream about, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Well, wouldn't this be one of the main things that science would like to establish, whether or not all living creatures dream? Because doesn't yeah. it doesn't a dream start when we go into REM? Uh, they actually start, they dreams show up in REM and non-REM. Really? It seems that the, yeah, the rapid eye movement is... That was a big breakthrough about 15 years ago, but what they have found since then is that people dream throughout the night and not just in the REM stages. Interesting. Stand by. You and I have to take our final break. We'll be back in, oh, a couple of minutes. Exonation, we're talking about dreams, and if you'd like to find out more about our guest, our website is J-E-A-N-N-E-V-A-N-B-R-O-N-K-H-O-R-S-T. And her latest book is Dreams at the Threshold, Guidance, Comfort, and Healing at the End of Life. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Hi, everyone. Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on Internet streaming. Everybody has heard about Internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the Internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. 
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Talking about dreams this hour, Exo Nation. Our guest is Jean Van Bronckhorst. And uh, Jean, um, what is the difference between a waking dream that we call daydreaming and a sleep time dream? Oh, um, it's kind of in the middle, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, the waking dreams are the daydreams mm-hmm. are a way to let our consciousness kind of wander a little bit and we can get lost in a daydream um but we really are still connected to our waking ego self is still is still pretty active a nighttime dream we are pretty much in the dream it's only when we're lucid that we can kind of pop out of the dream and think about the action that's going on but the daydream we can participate in it and we can also step back and direct it a little bit has there been any study done when it comes to um, dreaming, whether people with an, uh, with an average IQ dream more or less than people with a higher IQ? Oh, I don't know. I don't know that any anything's been done on that. I think what they have found, this mm-hmm. four to six dreams is more biologically based 
than IQ based. I think they're, mm. yeah, much more interested in us as as uh, mammals, Homo sapiens. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had a dream that has come true? I have. I've had a bunch of them. I think that's what got me interested in in dreams in the first place. Is not really knowing what to do with it. Yeah or how to make sense of it, but still watching it come true anyway. How do you know if it was a dream or a psychic uh, premonition? Or are they one and the same? Um, yeah, the, differ- the difference is, is really just where, where it happens. If I wake up from a dream, then, then it's a, a precognitive dream. Um, psychic premonitions are more like waking experiences. So you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden you just know something that's going to happen next. So if dreams are inherent to all homo sapiens or mammals, and, and mammals, if yeah. if we can look at a dream as a parallel psychic phenomenon at times, why do people have to go to psychic fairs to get psychics to give them their future if they have the ability to do it themselves. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think people like going to psychic fairs because they're not they're not sure of their own abilities and or they haven't found a way into that path and they want someone who can tell them um who can do that for them. It's a tough thing to do though. It's a tough thing to have a psychic premonition or a vision about somebody else's future, and I—it's tricky. I—I don't—I think it's possible, I, mm-hmm. but I think it's tricky. Who are some of the greatest dreamers in history? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think there have been a lot of people who've had uh, wonderful dreams and have followed dreams to to some remarkable discoveries. The, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the man who invented the the uh, periodic table, got that from a dream. Um, inventors often will dream about the problem that they're working on and, and wake up sure. and think, okay, now I'm going to try this this way. Or, or how many times have you heard it? Somebody's been given a question, and they say, I don't, I don't know, let me sleep on it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think we all use our dreams that way, too. Sure. What was the hardest part about writing your book, um, Dreams that uh, Dreams at the Threshold? Huh. I think the hardest part was finding the right balance because I've I've worked with people with so many different beliefs at the end of life, and it's not really as a hospice worker. It really wasn't my job to convince people that there was or there wasn't mm-hmm. an afterlife. But finding ways to keep that open enough so every reader could find their own path through with this book. I really I really wanted it to stay open so that people who were humanists and people who were Christians and people who were uh, mystics could all feel like their experience was allowed in this book. What did some of the people who were in the hospice who were waiting to pass to the other side, what have they said about their dreams and, and the importance uh, of their dreams in their, in their current lifetime? Well, it turns out that dreams are really important at the end of life. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that I, I would have thought. It wasn't something that I thought as I was kind of growing up and moving through my career. I was interested in dreams. I was working in hospice. But it was putting the two together that made everything change for me. Because as a social worker, you know, I was going into people's homes sure. and talking to them about, you know, are you safe at home and do you need help getting food and do you have enough of this and do you have a lifeline? And there's a lot of busyness just about the caregiving. But finding ways into emotional conversations was harder until I asked one person, I said, well, so how are your dreams these days? And he got very excited and said, well, I don't dream, I'm an atheist. I thought, well, that's a really interesting combination. Yeah. So I asked about it, and and there we were, off and running, talking about what it was like to be an atheist and what he was looking forward to and what he thought about the way his life was going. And it just, I found that by asking about dreams, it opened us up into mm-hmm. the bigger questions of what it means to be alive and what our lives are for and what we're hoping for next and 
all those really important questions that can get lost in all the caregiving details. How, so, how has working in a hospice affected your personal life? Oh, immensely, profoundly. I think working with people and walking with people as they get closer to dying, it has really taught me about what's important about living, mm-hmm. um, what I want for my life, and giving me just so many different ways to think about right. dying. Yeah, it hasn't erased all my fears, but it certainly has changed my perception of my life. So what's next for you? Oh, well, next, I'm actually writing a book now about how we say goodbye at the end of life, because it seems that's a really hard thing to do. And so I'm writing a book about what makes it important and what makes it hard and how people have gone about doing it anyway. And I've interviewed about 30 people and just writing it up now. Is there a positive way of saying goodbye? Oh, yeah, there are. There's. I think the things that people come back to at the end of life are the big questions in life that we go through a lot, but at the end of life they become more poignant. And those are the questions about love. Who do I love? How am I connected? Who do I need to forgive? How do I reconcile? All those questions about connection. And then the question of meaning and purpose. What was the purpose of my life? What does it mean? The question of legacy. How will I be remembered? And the question of um, transcendence, what's next? What do I believe happens next? And when we can get out of the way, those those topics become really quite um, special at the end of life. When you can have those conversations with someone, they really do hold hold us in our memories, I think. Towards the end of life, do more and more people find the religion that they may have wandered away from during their lifetime? I think so, yeah. We tend to tend to go reach back a little mm-hmm. bit. Some people do, some people don't. But I think, I think a lot of people reach back, especially if they've kind of wandered around religiously, that they will often find their way back to a childhood religious home. What are your, final, th- what are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation tonight? Dream more. Dream big. <laughs> I think dreams are really an important part of our lives, and, and the more we can pay attention to them, I think the richer our life becomes. What about people who have recurring nightmares? What, what's your advice to them? Yeah, those are hard, aren't they? Mm. Recurring nightmares. There's a couple of different kind of recurring nightmares. Sometimes what you can do is go back inside the dream Uh, imaginatively, you can do like a waking dream or a a daydream and kind of put yourself back in that scary place and then change what happens. So you say, well, if I had this dream, but I switched the action at this point, Mm -hmm. what would then happen? And that helps people get out of the recurring nightmare. Dreams from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, those recurring nightmares are much more difficult and they really need a therapist to help, but they can be changed, and they do change over time. I guess time is a big factor. Are there are there any uh, when when there's research being done into dreamings? How do how do researchers get people to dream more? I think they just they hook them up in a sleep lab. I think a lot of the new dream research is coming about because there's sleep there is sleep research. Mm-hmm. So when they have people in a lab and they've got them all hooked up with the electrodes and they watch the brain waves change and they wake them up and say, what were you dreaming? (laughs) It's still just like that. So the the moral of the story is if you want to get a good night's sleep, don't go to a sleep lab. That's really the moral of that story, (laughs) yes. Gene, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure. I wish you continued success. And let our listeners know where they can give them your website one more time, dear. Oh, sure. So it's basically my name, Jean, J-E-A-N-N-E, Van Bronkhorst, V-A-N-B-R-O-N-K-H-O-R-S-T, dot com. Jean, take care of yourself. Thank you very much. Keep on dreaming. Thank you very much. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye, dear. Exonation. Jean Bra- uh, Van Bronkhorst has been our guest this hour. We've been talking about dreams. 
And if you'd like to get more information about uh, Jean, her website is jeanvanbronckhorst.com. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Thank you. 